Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Did you know that over 95% of all businesses fail within the first 10 years? By listening in to what Bob's guests have to say, plus direction from Bob Pritchard himself, it's our intention that you won't be among those statistics. Now, here's your host, Bob Pritchard. Hello, world. Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show on Voice America Business Channel. We are broadcasting right across the planet from Hollywood Boulevard in Hollywood, California, where technology meets entertainment. We're only a couple of days away from Thanksgiving. So in case I forget a bit later on in the show or run out of time, I'd just like to wish everybody who's listening a very happy Thanksgiving. It's my favourite holiday of the year. Everybody takes off tomorrow, Wednesday, and stays off until next Monday. So it's a very quiet week in America. And uh, but it's a it's a wonderful holiday, and uh, I'd like all of us to say thanks for all the things that um, all the blessings that we have, and for everybody to help somebody a little less fortunate wherever you can. So if you can donate a turkey or even if it's just a can of stuffing or something, but if you can make some sort of donation that goes towards people who um, are doing it a bit tough, then that would be greatly appreciated by me and everyone else in the community. You know, disruption of legacy industries escalating. Uber, Airbnb, Netflix, the list goes on and on and on and on, doesn't it? But if you sat there and asked yourself, are you the next industry to be disrupted? Are you about to get screwed by somebody you didn't know was even out there? Now, there are six ways to tell whether your business is about to get fucked. You know, trains, typewriters, film, cars, record albums, record and CD stores, VHS, network news, video rental stores, newspapers and telephones and taxis and stockbrokers and banks. All of those are now either dead and buried or are in about to be a graveyard of product services and industries that just didn't see it coming. It's their own fault. You know, the, the indicators have been there for a long time. Technology and innovations, coupled with a new generation of creative thinkers, revolutionary new business models, they come along and they're and these people have reinvented legacy companies right out of business. They've seen a need, see how it's being done poorly and inexpensively, and have come up with better, faster, more nimble um, technology solutions. You know, just like the Beatles silenced do what? The Naverna killed all those bands of the 80s. And hip-hop uprooted rock and roll. Legacy companies are being uprooted everywhere. So what are the indicators that your business has a use-by date that's rapidly approaching? So here are six good indicators. Firstly, the Blockbuster CEO laughed at Netflix. Kodak CEO Kay Whitmore believed that they were in the film business while... 
Sony and Canon went digital. Well, they laughed at first. <laughs> Executives at um, RIM, Nokia, LG, Samsung, Sony and Motorola, well, they weren't the least bit concerned when Apple came out with a new mobile phone, but they soon learnt. So the first one, the first indicator is arrogance, thinking that you're untouchable. The second one, do you give great customer service? 99% of businesses out there give what they think is good customer service, but the consumer or their customers don't think it's good customer service at all. It's not what they want. So poor customer service is another indicator. The embrace of Uber and Lyft has been passionate because so many people for so long had no choice but to put up with smelly and dirty cabs, cab drivers who were unreliable and didn't have a bloody clue how to get you to where you were going. Add to that with Uber, you know advance who the driver is, you know what they're driving, you know their phone number and you know the fare. Taxis, you screwed yourselves. You asked for it. The third sign is ignorance of technology and business trends. According to Harvard Business School, a primary reason for lack of success is that only 11% of business owners or managers have any ongoing learning after college. A pitiful lack of knowledge of what's going on in the world and um, in their industry. When um, Elon Musk launched Tesla, you could hear Detroit going, ha, ah, he's got to be kidding. One um, senior executive said, Tesla, it's pie in the sky stuff. Never happened. Oh, then Tesla came along and sold 350,000 cars in 48 hours. 350,000 cars in 48 hours, putting $15 billion in their pocket and cars that they weren't going to deliver for 18 months. And all of a sudden, all the manufacturers in Detroit simultaneously went, oh, shit. Trouble. The um, fourth sign that you're probably about to be screwed is having a negative attitude toward change. When Uber and Lyft came into town, the taxi companies used their muscle and corrupt officials to do everything they could to block them using laws and regulation. What they should have done was recognise the problems that they had and how they could improve what they did was protectionism, and that was the perfect sign that their days were numbered. And now Uber and Lyft are killing taxis in most major cities worldwide. I use Uber all the time. I love it. Have not caught a cab for years. Doesn't matter where I am in the world, and it's phenomenal. Number five, the fifth indication that you're about to be screwed probably is understanding the hard and soft trends in the market. Now, hard trends are going to happen no matter what. Soft trends can be changed. So hard trends are those trends that you can't change. You know, baby boomers are getting older, technologies are getting smaller and faster. Tablets and even smartphones do everything laptops can. 
in a much more portable product. And that's a hard trend. You can't stop it. It's going to happen regardless. Soft trends, these can be changed. Population leaving high-tax cities and states is a soft trend. You can change that. The question for you is, what hard and soft trends will affect your business? If you don't know, uh, you're in trouble. The sixth indication that you're probably screwed is that believing the business that you do is the business that you're in. It's unbelievable how many people believe this, how many people in business. You know, trains thought they were in the railroad business. Record companies thought they were in the record business. These are fatal. What's the broader business that you're in? You know, trains are in, in the freight business and they're uprooted by trucking. Record companies were in the business of providing music for personal consumption and they've been murdered by iTunes. So if your attitude reflects any of these six views, to put it in business terms, pure business terms, you're screwed. Very simple. Now, speaking of uh, legacy businesses being disrupted, another $600 billion industry is now being challenged. $600 billion, that's a fair bit of loot. Every year, people send over $600 billion in remittances to friend and family overseas. It's an enormous industry and it's facilitated these uh, payments for more than 100 years. And the legacy remittance industry has been dominated by cash, which has been, uh, which and that requires physical locations where customers can actually hand over or pick up the money. Now, building out these retail networks, it's a massive investment. It's left just a few players called money transfer operators, MTOs, controlling a bulk of the industry. Three remittance companies, Western Union, MoneyGram and RIA, have dominated this market for years and they operate an astounding 1.1 million physical retail locations in 200 countries. 1.1 million retail locations that you're paying through the nose for by the foot. However, digital first players are emerging very quickly, leveraging mobile and online platforms to compete with the legacy firms on a scale and fees. They can, they can kill them everywhere. So, Fees are a huge pain point for, for migrants, say Mexicans or Latin Americans um, working in the United States and sending money home. Fees are a huge pain point. So um, the digital companies are offering lower fees and that gives them a huge advantage. So the legacy company's comfortable hold on the industry has now been seriously challenged. Digital first companies are competing on fees and usability and capitalising on the way people's expectations have changed with the advent of digital and mobile channels. Now, to be fair, digital share of the global remittance industry is still small at about 6%, but growth is really fast. 
and uh, digital remittance companies like Remitly have lower operating costs because they don't have to operate any brick and mortar locations. They pass it down to consumers in the form of lower fees. That's driven down costs overall. In the last seven years, people sending money overseas from the US have saved $1.2 billion annually in fees. So 14-year-old Zoom, a member of the PayPal family, it's hard to say, PayPal, so fast, makes more revenue from electronic channels than 75-year-old MoneyGram, the second largest remittance company in the world, and that's 14 years old. Startups are undercutting incumbents' fees. However, legacy firms have matched prices in many corridors, which, of course, lowers their margins dramatically, reduces competitiveness, and sooner or later, they will disappear. So they're fiddling around with their business strategies. Fair enough. However, while they continue to face lower margins, they face eventual demise if they continue to compete on pricing. But what the hell else can they do? They've got 1.1 million retail stores to operate. Jesus. Now, I don't know whether how many of you put up with um, the recent elections without going batty. But after the almost lie per sentence record that um, Trump set during the US election campaign, now you're able to tell if news stories are accurate. Google's helping you set the facts straight. They've introduced a new feature that um, will tag and help find fact-checking in large news stories. Tagged articles will show up in the news story box on news.google.com as well as in the Google News and Weather app for iOS and Android in the US and UK. So Google has a two-pronged approach to detecting fact-checking. Firstly, they look for actual markup in the site's source code, and then they look for pages that follow the commonly accepted criteria for fact checks. Google makes no mention of the US presidential election, but any effort to hold compulsive liars accountable for their bullshit and prevent conspiracy theorists from peddling their poisonous ideas has got to be applauded. I, for one, applaud it. A pity it wasn't happening 18 months ago. Now, the tags show up in very small grey text above the article links. And it's important to note that uh, Google itself isn't passing judgment, nor does it tell you the source article's conclusion in search results. It's merely a sign that says, hey, read me to find out the truth. Still, it's a nice way to make sure readers are at least forming opinions based on fact rather than the fiction that was peddled for 18 months by the orange orangutan. There's no reason to believe his lies will be any less prevalent in the future. Now, speaking of Google, Google's translation app is about to get much better as it can now translate entire sentences at a time rather than just single words. Uh, Google's improving its language translation service with a new approach that interprets whole sentences at a time rather than phrases piece by piece. And uh, this makes translations from the service called Google Translate 
much easier to understand. It uses broader context to help it figure out the most relevant translation, which it then arranges and adjusts to be more like a human speaking with proper grammar. So this uh, new version of Google Translate is powered by neutral machine, neural machine translation, which is a new method of teaching computers to translate human languages. The upgraded translation technique will work immediately with English, French, German, Spanish and Chinese. And uh, Google says it will eventually make similar upgrades to all of the 103 languages Google Translate currently supports. Now, this announcement from Google comes as Microsoft has also been bolstering its own translation service, and Microsoft hopes to release an app by the end of the year that can translate multilingual group conversations in real time. Now, that's a pretty cool trick. That will really um, spice up the industry. If you're listening to this program, do you get my 30-second re-business newsletter? We get a heap of new subscribers every day and we only get the very occasional unsubscribe. And the reason for this, I think, is because it's um, it's interesting, it's varied every day, it's different business information and you can usually read it in 30 seconds. We now have 71,000 daily subscribers, which is quite a few. So I invite you to go to my website, which is bobpritchard.com. And there's a box there and just enroll for the newsletter. It's free, absolutely free, zero nada. It takes just 30 seconds to read and it'll keep you up to date with all of the business news that's important and make everybody think that you're really smart and up to date. My guest is on after the break. He's a brilliant guy in the advertising and marketing business. Sensational. He's also a member of Metal and... I'll be back with him straight after this short break. Do you want your business to achieve results you never thought possible? Bob Pritchard is recognized as the business leader's advisor and has 30 years of experience as a straight-talking troubleshooter for Fortune 500 companies and SMEs across the world. Whether you need a checkup across all departments of your business or simply want to improve marketing, advertising, performance measurement, or some other area, Bob Pritchard will work his magic so you can blow away your competition. Bob Pritchard is also one of the most in-demand speakers in the world. Over 1,500 clients on five continents and countless standing ovations are a testament to how he changes the fortunes of business. Pick up Bob's new book, Kick-Ass Business and Marketing Secrets, at your nearest bookstore or visit Bob's website at www.bobpritchard.com. Remember, if you want to be successful, call Bob Pritchard now. Worldwide phone numbers and more information can be found at bobpritchard.com. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Now, this is a segment of the show where we talk to the most successful people in their field right across the country. 
Today, it's my pleasure to talk to Keith Chambers, who's one of the leading exponents of the advertising and marketing business. I've got to say that I saw uh, Keith give a presentation at Metal, um, I guess several months ago now, and it was phenomenal. I mean, it's, it's practical, sensible advice that works for absolutely everybody. The guy's a legend, and um, I think you'll find him very interesting. Now, Keith's the founder and president of the Chambers Group, and he believes that free enterprise is basically war. And if you don't believe this, you're likely to become one of its casualties. Keith's innovative techniques and successes have kept his clients from becoming casualties for over 30 years and have made him one of the nation's leading marketing consultants for Fortune 100 brands. Keith has driven marketing campaigns for more than 160 major companies such as Arm & Hammer, Coppertone, Clorox, General Mills, Dole, Frito-Lay and heaps and heaps more. Keith built up a successful design studio creating packaging for leading brands before expanding his services to include naming and positioning and he's been growing his unbelievably successful marketing agency for over three decades. A turning point came in 1988 when Keith created the brand Sega Genesis and by its second year Sega Genesis was exceeding 500 million in sales. Now Keith brought originality to his marketing approach Rather than develop a marketing concept and measure the consumer response, Keith consults the consumer first and works backwards to make sure their needs are met. And if he's not busy enough, his proudest achievement is a relationship with his sons, Brandon and Eric. Together they've established Chambers Brothers Entertainment, which has developed a long list of shows, including Spike TV's The Ultimate Gamer. And they're currently in production on the first of two feature films, the first one, Cheech and Chong's Smokin' Animated Movie. Bloody hell, that's, that's a pretty good career when you look at it. Keith, welcome to the Bob Pritchard Show. It's great to thank catch you, up Bob. with you again. Well, thank you. I'm happy to be here. I love your show. You're a pretty busy guy. We are, you know, and you mentioned the Cheech and Chong uh, animated movie. We just uh, just signed a deal with uh, 20th Century Fox. They're going to distribute globally. Fantastic. That's great. So which is more fun? Advertising and marketing, or um, been a, making movies? Boy, what a great question! Well, movies is a little more fun because Brandon and Eric, my two sons, for the most part, manage the uh, you know the development and the and the production of all of that of all of that work. So I just get to have the fun part of that one. When it comes <laughs> to the marketing, I get the headaches along with uh, with the glory. Right. I think I, I met your sons at Metal. I'm 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 sure. Um, yeah. Okay, so how do, you, how do you describe the kind of marketing that you do? Well, I, I've, I've set myself aside a little bit. Uh, as you know, I, you know, and I know you're the uh, master at this yourself, is that you know, if you want to be successful at anything, you've got to, you have to constantly set yourself aside from your competition. Absolutely. And how I did that uh, was that uh, back, in the, back in the early days, 
you know, I was what's, you know, what's pretty commonly referred to as a marketing consultant. So that means you develop marketing plans and business yeah. plans. And for the most part, you, you could function in all the different, you know, varieties of things that your average product manager did. You could replace him in any of those areas. Yeah. And so, you know, for the most part generated, you know, a lot of paperwork, important paperwork, but it nonetheless paperwork. Well, I not only do that, but then I consider myself a creative marketing consultant and I distinguish that word creative essentially meaning that we also do the execution. So uh, a typical launch of some kind for us, like when we launched the Claritin Ready Caps, and we created the strategy to launch the Claritin Ready Caps, and then we also designed the packaging, the graphics, and all the words and so forth in order to carry it out. And that's the way it would look like, you know, for a consumer product of some kind, if it were, you know, it could also be, uh, you know, executed in a print ad or a TV commercial or whatever. Right. But that's how we sort of distinguish essentially what we do. So, in the new marketing paradigm, what role does advertising play? Well, advertising, I find advertising interesting. It's sort of, you know, uh, it, has, it carries a lot of glory with it. But at the same time, what I've discovered is that essentially, you know, two things have to be present in order to be successful. Now, there's a lot more to a marketing mix, but sure. fundamentally, if you don't do these two things, you're not going to be successful. Number one is develop a really compelling sales message, a selling proposition. Yep. And number two, then, is to get... Uh, to get uh, the, an adequate number of exposures to your target consumer in order to be successful. Those two things must be present. That second thing, of course, incorporates advertising. And advertising, it could be advertising or, you know, what we generally refer, refer to as promotion. In this day and age, that has become really quite complicated because, as you know, you know, the Internet and social marketing yeah. and so forth have really taken the advertising industry and turned it upside down. I have a good buddy who owns a, an agency in New York, and uh, he he has asked me to you know to spend time sitting down with him to see if 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 I could be you know a vital component in the work that he and his group are doing toward trying to you know crack the code on how do you how do you how do you promote and how do you advertise products in an effective way on the internet this day and age? I think ultimately they'll probably be many ways that are developed, but at this moment, I don't think anybody's really cracked the code. Yeah, I, I gave a speech um, earlier today where uh, it's amazing how many people in the room are focusing, essentially saying, look, newspaper advertising and radio advertising doesn't get me any results, but I am getting good results from, from social media. So there has been a change and, and people are cottoning, cottoning onto it, but it's difficult. Yeah, I agree. So, so given this incredible track record of yours, what are the most important contributors to your personal success? What, what's, what's made you who you are today? We did, we did two things, Bob, and, and kind of going back here a little bit to that previous thing that I said, for the most part, you know, of those two functions that I mentioned in order to be successful, the one that we fulfill most commonly is, you know, developing that critical sales message or that selling proposition about, I would guess, wow, maybe, maybe as long, maybe as far back as nine or ten years ago, we we did one thing that really made a big difference, and that is is that we we deconstructed the selling proposition or the sales message 
somewhat in the same way that you know the you know the 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 world's greatest scientists have deconstructed the atom you know yeah. and, and you so, know that whole that whole CERN collider the you know the large CERN yep, collider yep. Uh, that whole thing about breaking atoms apart and and when you look at the pieces and then watching how the pieces interact with each other well we did the same thing we took all that marketing terminology that all of our clients use you know over a period of time you know brands and sub brands and generic descriptors and benefits and attributes and all those things sure. and we kind of lined them up and we started looking at them that way in other words we we broke the selling proposition apart and started looking at it and it's bits and pieces on that component level. Sure. Then the second thing okay. that we did, which ultimately turned out to be of extraordinary value, is we developed a technology, an electronic technology, where we'll have 24 target consumers sitting in a room behind computers, and we have a very clever way of taking all of that broken down information and putting it back together or reassembling it into a powerful selling proposition using those target consumers. Okay. And that has, that has propelled us, for the most part, ahead of our competition. It, it brings with it, you know, other problems, you know, because for the most part, you know, you know how people are, and, and, and marketers are no exception to this. The marketing people that we work for who understand what we're doing, you know, are great clients. The yep. ones that we don't work for who don't understand that process or what we're doing um, are not, you know, are not quick to, you know, necessarily quick to adapt to it. But that's, that's, that process has been what's accelerated our organization ahead. And that that also takes the, um, you know, one of the problems that I've always found with focus groups, not that I believe in them much anymore, but I used to, um, is people tend to dominate a focus group and dominate the discussions and or even just through force of personality, even if they, just because they sound authoritative and people tend to follow them and so you get a skew, um, your your process sounds like it, it um, eliminates that bias. Yeah, it it completely eliminates it, and and I, you know, I've run into an interesting thing around focus groups, Bob. I bet you have the you have as well, and that is is that 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 senior management has a tendency will have a tendency to tell you just before a project goes out the door. Uh, let's say there's let's say there's one sort of an unanswered question. Now, let's say that the project has been researched. As you know, as thoroughly as I could possibly be researched, and we're ready to go. But senior management will say, "Let's just do another group and see what they think about the yada yada," which is this sort of like a new thing that just kind of came up, or a new yeah. idea that just came up. And don't worry, we won't pay any attention. <laughs> and of course, they do pay they attention. They do, yeah. You know, do pay attention to that one bird, you know, who says something, and the rest of them follow. So I, I'm, I'm kind of with you. I think uh, focus groups can be very dangerous. And I, one of the things I've noticed is that my clients have had a tendency more recently to use interviews as opposed to focus groups. Yeah. So you'll sit there all day long, you know, instead of being in one focus group or two focus groups, you'll sit there all day long and it'll be one interview after another after another. And it's a one-on-one -on -one interview with the, you know, with the, the, your typical focus group moderator and then, you know, yeah. one respondent. She, well, just, before I get back onto Anna, what's the one ingredient in Keith Chambers that makes him successful? What's the one big driver in your life that gets you up in the morning and gets you to want to go out and kill him? Makes me want to go. So that one thing that kind of motivates, is that what you mean? Yeah. What drives you? Wow. 
Well, uh, you know, I, I've been in this business for a long period of time. Yeah. And somehow I've never got tired of winning. I'm sure you have the same experience. And winning kind of occurs on two levels. Winning occurs when someone gives you a really great assignment. Yeah. And I've gotten a couple of really great ones recently. Yeah. Uh, and that always makes you feel good because you know that, you know, that there's, you know, there's, con- there's a confidence level, you know, behind that, which was, sure. the, you know, access to your being given the assignment. And then, of course, the other thing is, uh, you know, I mentioned this process. Uh, I, for years and years, the worst thing you could say to me if you were the client was that the research results are coming in tomorrow. Clearly, I would not sleep that night because I just hated research and I hated, you know, waiting for research results. That was the actually the motivating factor behind putting that process together that I described to you a few moments ago. And since having done that, since having, you know, identified that process, I, I, I sleep pretty well now when I know the research results are coming in because once we've done this process with these 24 target consumers, I have a really high level of confidence that it's going to score well in research, and we do it. We 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 literally score well every mm. time, and that's primarily because we've done we've worked this process. Sure. So, yeah. when we score well in research, and then when it when it does well and it hits the shelf, that's that really you know those two things those are really very rewarding as well. Great. So is there one key secret to successful marketing? One Apart key from being secret. bloody good at it. <laughs> uh, no, you know, what I've discovered uh, is that, you know, over over a period of time, in fact, I just started writing a new book. I was speaking in Sri Lanka a couple of weeks ago, and uh, and and I what I did is I structured the present, I structured the speech such that that I that I when I started the speech, I indicated that that there were a large number of of uh, of insights that I had developed over a period of time, right. and that there were two in particular that I was going to put into this presentation, and I went on and on and on. Now, when we took the noon break, the organizers of the event came up to me and they said, "Well, how many are there? You know, are you you know are you getting are you getting them all in today?" And you know, so on and so forth. And they were so interested in numbers, you know, yeah. and, and, you know, and, and, and actually that was one of the distinctions that we had was that we had discovered that metrics really, you know, have a tendency to be very powerful. If Absolutely. you can say, yeah. you know, 20% of this and 10% of that or 100% of this or whatever, those, yeah. using those numbers seems to validate something. Anyway, long story short, uh, ultimately they said, well, how many are there? And I said, well, they're 24. And as it turns out, you know, I started writing another book, and the title of the book is going to be 24. So there, there really are a lot of uh, a lot of them. And what's interesting, of course, is that is that you know the you know no one or two seem to always always be you know that key that one key thing. Uh, I, I would say there are a few that certainly show up a lot, and you know, uh, uh, one of them is one of them that seems to be missing. In terms of almost every selling proposition that I encounter, you know, you and I could go through a supermarket and look at all the packages on the shelf, or we could yeah. drive down the street and look at all the, you know, presentations, the marketing presentations the, of storefronts, one after another after another, yep. and we will we will not likely find what we refer to as a benefit anywhere in there. In other That's words, right. no one talking about what's in it what's in it for the consumer yeah it's always it always a laundry list of all of the features of the product 
which are important, of course, but they leave the consumer out of the sales message. And quite frankly, you know, uh, if you and I, if we went to a party and we ran into somebody and all they did was talk about themselves, you know, yep. all, all evening long, you and I are going to, are not going to have a good time at that party <laughs> because we're interested in ourselves, you know? Yeah, that's right. So, so it's a lot to think about, and that I would say that's probably the most common, but there certainly are a lot, and like I said, we kind of identified or corralled 24 over a period of time. We've got to, you've got to make an emotional connection with your client or you're dead. Absolutely, and, and that's exactly where it is. That's where it is. It's in, it's in the benefit. Yeah. It's in the benefit. You know, uh, you know, there's a really great example, and I, I'll bet you're familiar with this. In the United States, there are two... Uh, there are two companies that are beating each other up over selling suits. Yep. And one of them is called the uh, Three Day Three, three day, day Suit Broker. broker. Yeah. Three Day Suit Broker. Now, you know, what's the message with the Three Day Suit Broker? Well, there's, you know, because it's called a broker, I guess there's an inference that it's it's a good price. And three days, I guess, means that's how quickly you get. So, so the selling proposition there is about getting a getting a good price in three days. That, the yes. other guy is Men's Warehouse. Yeah. And you know, um, who hasn't? If you've been in the United States for five minutes, you've heard. You know, uh, I think his name is George Zimmer. He's good too. I like him. He he just sounds so credible. He does the the ads himself, and he sticks his head in. And you know, I think he's I think he's terrific. You know, he has an honest voice, very much like yours. I think oh, really? you're right. And he said, he, "And what does he say?" He says, "You know, you're going to like the way you look. I yep. guarantee it." Yeah. Now, you know, if you know, if one of them's ten blocks to the left and the other is ten blocks to the right, I'm going to go where I like the way I look. That's for Me sure. Too. You know, so absolutely. Yeah. You know, and there's a, a huge lesson to be learned there. But I have to say, it goes it goes right over the heads of most people because when you're when you're organizing your message, uh, of, you know, of, of your selling proposition or your pitch, you're all it's always always your mind is always you know into yourself and talking about your product and you know or your service or whatever it is. It's about you. You're wanting to get it all in and you're wanting to get it organized properly and so forth. And of course, what happens is you just leave the customer completely out. Yeah. So. How many books have you written? I've only written one. I, I wrote I wrote a book uh, about about a year and a half ago. That's doing pretty well. Doing really well electronically. Yeah. Uh, you know, and I, you know, I got a note from Amazon. Uh, you know, but two months ago, indicating that eighty percent, a little over eighty percent of their books now that they sell are electronic. Which I was just blown away by that. Yeah. But um, but yeah, just one book. So do you enjoy it? Uh, you know, I. I do. I think I, I think I can write books as long as they're stream of consciousness, you know. They just kind of flow out and you let them go. And yeah, I, was, I made the mistake with my last book of trying to improve it and improve it. It took me nine years to write Kick-Ass. And so my publisher came <laughs> back and said, you know, would you write another book? And I thought, oh, God, it's just such a chore, you know, because you're conscious, it is. You're conscious of the fact oh. that the people that are going to read it are your peers, and therefore, you know, you've got to be accurate, you've got to make sense, you've got to be practical and tell them something that they don't know. <laughs> and I find it yeah. unbelievably it hard. Is. It's a lot of work. It's a, it is a lot of work, and that's why I said, uh, you know, for me, if it's a stream of consciousness, if it just flows out of me, it'll, yeah. it'll work, because... I I had been you know my, my two sons had requested that I write a second book and I 
I was having the same experience that you were. I was resisting it, and then, and then all of a sudden, this whole thing happened in Sri Lanka, and the number 24 came up, and I said, well, that's the title of the book, and I'll just sit down and write it. So, uh, so it turns out I went to Bali for the next couple of weeks and uh, spent a little time on the beach surfing, and I wrote the first five chapters while I was sitting there. It was very easy to do. It just flowed right out. How good is that? Make sure I get a copy. Absolutely. Now, what's, the, what's the difference between big corporate marketing and small business marketing? You know, it's a great question, and uh, and uh, and I hear that one frequently. Uh, and 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 part of my effort, well, actually, all of my effort on the book that I wrote, it's called Pull, was to repurpose everything that I've done for big corporations so that they're appropriate for you know small and medium-sized businesses. My experience uh, up to this point in time, I'd be curious to hear your thoughts on it as well. Uh, are that uh, there is no difference. There is absolutely no difference. In terms of the insights and the distinctions and what works and what doesn't work, you know, the only difference is the magnitude of the sales volume. Other than that, you know, the, you know what we just discussed relative to uh, people, you know, people not using benefits, that, that uh, I don't think it matters what it is you're selling or who you're selling it to or how big or small you are. And my feeling is, is that all of the other 20 of the insights that I've developed over time have the exact same, you know, uh, have the exact same impact on both. There is one difference, which is an interesting one, uh, and what this one is is that is that there's almost, almost no marketing expertise in small companies. Yeah, exactly. And the reason for it, I think, the reason for it. Uh, can, it just goes back to college. You know, people go to colleges and universities and they get degrees in marketing and they graduate and they make, you know, fill out resumes and where do they go? They go to corporate America and yeah. they go, to, I mean, they get corporate jobs all over the world and none of them go to, you know, a guy who owns a small supermarket chain in Des Moines, Iowa or, you know, a chain of 10 bookstores in, you know, in Cincinnati yeah. or, you know, they just don't go though to those places. So those people, they'll have people who work for them who have a marketing title and those people those people don't really have much of a marketing background. And so so the the fundamental, the most fundamental of marketing principles, which uh, one would think, uh, you know, exist sort of just, you know, pretty much intuitively anywhere, are, are actually missing in small businesses. They're just gone. They're not even there. In fact, I think if you asked, if you walked into, you know, I have, I have a friend who owns four dry cleaning stores and if you walk in and ask Steve to, to tell you what marketing is he would he would think he would he would stumble he wouldn't be able yeah. to tell you what marketing is yeah just wouldn't be able to so okay. that's the bit to me that's the only difference is, is there's no marketing you know no marketing talent to speak of in small medium-sized companies it's interesting that um you know I, I i gave a presentation earlier and i was talking about the fact that 98 percent of all businesses go broke and 72 percent of those go broke because not because they haven't got a great product or because they haven't got the funds. The reason they go broke is because of fundamental business and marketing principles. They don't wake up in the morning and say, today I've got to sell somebody something. Um, I used to work for a multi-millionaire uh, for a number of years, multi-billionaire actually for a number of years. And at the end of each day, we used to have to write down what I did today that actually made the company a dollar. And 
it's really eye-opening because you sit there and you say, I got in early at 7.30, I've worked my butt off all day, I've been really frantically busy. Now, what did you do that actually made a dollar? Um, let me think about this for a minute. And it's, it, it's amazing <laughs> how few people concentrate on marketing and selling. They concentrate yeah. on all the other stuff. Um, uh, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. Yeah. So absolutely right. have you um, discovered any unusual marketing insights? Well, in your uh, you know, uh, out of those 24 that I mentioned, uh, there are definitely some that I think are unusual or out of left field and just kind of showed up, particularly given that, you know, I developed this process of, you know, deconstructing the selling proposition and then sort of watching what happens with all these bits and pieces as we expose them to target consumers. There are two that come to mind. One of them is gender, and I think this one is completely undiscovered. I don't think there's, I don't think there's a graduate marketing school on the planet that even knows about this, and I'll share it with you. Uh, what what it is is that what we discovered what we discovered is that and you know and you know of course that women you know are responsible for eighty percent of the purchases of you know all the you know the consumer goods and services that are out there and this and this is working with women I know I mentioned that because it is a, it has a gender nature to it but uh, what we discovered is is that there is a gender to all all communication images and and it could be in any category you could think of and it could be in um, it could be in cat litter and it could be in dry cleaning stores and it could be in liquor stores there is a gender yep. and 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 you can expose that sales message if you will that selling proposition to target consumers and they can they can score what they think the gender is, and we developed a gender scale with a zero in the center, which would be say neutrally gendered, yep. and then a one two three out to the right, and that was masculine, and a one two three to the left, and that's feminine. Yep. And so what we started doing is we started asking, you know, we started getting these target consumers to tell us, you know, image A, B, C, D, or E. And let's say that that A, B, C, D, and E were across, and this is an actual case, a laundry detergent, which we launched a few months back. Yep. So let's say there are five different images for that laundry detergent. And what we, what we, di- what we discover is that, yeah, some of these are a little on the feminine side and some are a little more on the masculine side. So what we also did was we had a, a completely different exercise, Bob. That that on over the sa- over the similar scale, what it did was it it asked the same target consumer to identify maximum performance performance. Right. Okay. Yep. And what we discovered what we discovered was that there was this perfect place on the gender scale. Uh, for maximum performance. Correct. And where it was, it was if the zero is in the center and if the one, two, three out to the right are masculine, it's just to the right-hand side of the one on the masculine scale. So what they're telling us, what they're telling us is that, is that, if, is that they're using gender to, to read the product performance. So, so if you're if you had a, a laundry detergent that let's say had a sort of a, a feminine image, 
Yes. It's going, that feminine image is going to be interpreted as low performance, low product performance. Wow. And that's the last thing in the world you want if you're Absolutely. out there trying to, yeah, if you're yeah. out there trying to be with Tide. So it's very interesting to us to have discovered I think that's that. And that's only yeah. very, only very recently, you know, that we did. Yeah, that, that, that's fantastic. Um, Keith, it's been great speaking with you. Um, one of the uh, reasons that in this week's show we've only got just the one interview instead of our normal two is because I believe that Keith brings so much to the table and it is critical that we improve our marketing performance right across the board and it's critical that we have marketing messages that actually compel people to buy things. And so, um, Keith, I saw Keith speak, as I mentioned, and he was fantastic, and he got across a lot of fantastic messages that are of benefit to all of us. So thanks very much, mate. It's been great speaking with you. I hope I see you again at Metal soon. Thank you, Bob. I, I had a great time, and uh, let's work together sometime. I'd I love would to love do to. That. I would love to. Now, if you'd like to know more about Keith and the Chambers Group, go to www.chambersgroup.com. It's a good website, and it shows you how to um, not only engage the advertising side of the business, but also to get um, Keith as a speaker, and uh, he is a great speaker. So I'll be back with more of the Bob Pritchard Radio Show after this short message. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back the Bob Pritchard Straight Talking, absolutely no bullshit business radio show on the Voice America Business Channel, the number one global business radio show for entrepreneurs. And this week we're broadcasting from Hollywood Boulevard in Los Angeles where technology meets entertainment. Um, This week in my daily 30-second read uh, business newsletter that goes out to 81,000, 71,000 executives worldwide, I wrote about a study gender differences in recommendation letters for postdoctoral fellowships in geoscience. A big, um, a big mouthful, but um, their study found that women are about half as likely as men to receive excellent letters as opposed to good letters of recommendation, regardless of whether the person writing the recommendation is male or female. Um, this really hit a nerve and I had a, um, a very substantial response from women who read the women executives who read the article praising me for sticking up for women and I hit a nerve with a lot of very insecure men who um, I got accused of um, all sorts of things and and emails saying that um, women can't compete with men, that uh, this is a, just a bunch of um, feminists uh, that have put this together and a whole, whole heap of derogatory remarks. 
Um, <laughs> so <laughs> it shows that people read it. Nobody, nobody actually unsubscribed though. I got you know a lot of people telling me, accusing me of all sorts of things, but people stuck with it. Now, the study was conducted to determine why just 10% of GS science professorships are held by women, when women um, comprise 40% of doctoral degree holders. So, um, I mean, that's a, that's a huge discrepancy. So the results suggest that women are significantly less likely to receive excellent recommendation letters than their male ca counterparts, and uh, every major criteria in which scientists are evaluated for hiring, promotion, talk invitations and prizes has been shown to be very heavily biased in favour of white men. So um, that really, really caused a storm, but I stick with it. We need to um, support women and women need to be more supportive of women and uh, angry white men need to get a lot less angry. Uh, Coca-Cola is gearing up to take on the social media world. They've unveiled a, um, a custom-designed selfie bottle camera. It's kind of cute. And uh, it enables you to take snaps as you drink the iconic beverage. As you raise the bottle up to 70-degree tilt, it automatically sets off the camera and it snaps selfies of you drinking the beverage. Um, the bottle looks normal until you get to the bottom where there's a sort of a plastic red um, uh, base that it fits into that's got the got the camera in it. And uh, you know, there's no um, screen or display of any kind on the bottle or the base. But there's a USB port on the side which allows the photos to be browsed, you know, on your computer or your phone. And the quirky gadget um, also features a dedicated share function, which allows users to effortlessly share their selfies of them drinking Coke on Facebook, Instagram, and Snapchat. Users tag themselves and their friends in photos on Coca-Cola's social media assets. It really does the trick and makes the party goers more present and active during the event, knowing they can share their special moments just by chugging down a Coke. So with the selfie bottle, Coke's come up with a yet another way to make you feel good about yourself while you are guzzling the teeth-rotting paint stripper beverage. Despite that, you have to uh, salute them for um, ingenuity. Thinking, talking about that, you, you may recall that in September 2015, about a year and a bit ago, Simon Toast Crunch unveiled their selfie spoon, which is a part spoon, part selfie stick, and they were really rapidly snapped up. The idea was that you could attach your cell phone to one end as you munched on your favourite meals, the Cinnamon Toast Crunch cereal. So that was a pioneer and brilliant. And this is cool too. So this is the time of the year to nominate seven of the best inventions of the year. Some of the best inventions this year are the levitating light bulb. Since he was a child, um, Simon Morris has been obsessed with making objects float in midair. He's created Flight, which is a light bulb that relies on electromagnetism. 
it levitates and it spins and on resonant inductive coupling and it shines it's very clever second one is the folding bike helmet and uh, Jeff Wolf's been involved in a serious crash on his bike the one that might have killed him if it wasn't for his helmet so he thought why do, why do a lot of bike riders not wear a helmet turns out they're mostly because they're hard to carry around they're thick and bulky and they don't fit into bags or backpacks the result he came up with Morpha a bike helmet made from interweave plastics is just as strong as a traditional helmet, but flexible enough to fold almost entirely flat, making it easier to transport. Then, of course, there's solar panels that don't stick out. Um, you know, you help the environment, save some money, and you stick these big bulky metal boxes on your roof. Well, Tesla has come up with a solar roof, which is a series of tiles designed to blend together while also harnessing the power of the sun. The product line will be available next year, and it's a collaboration between Tesla and Solar City. Then there's Nike's shoes that tie themselves. When wearers press a button near the tongue, the hyper-adapt ones automatically tighten and loosen around your foot. Um, when you think about it, it's frivolous, but it's also given athletes an edge during competition, and it's particularly useful for people with impaired motor function and, and disabilities. Then there's cannabis that could replace pills. Millions of Americans rely on over-the-counter medicine to treat routine complications such as insomnia and headaches. What if they took a pill of pot or a hit of pot instead? Um, there's a new range of vaporizer pens and when inhaled, the pens dispense a dose of cannabis oil that's been chemically engineered to make people feel a certain way, calm, sleepy, relieve the pain without getting high. And then there's the tyres that spin in every direction. So as um, companies race to develop self-driving cars, Goodyear's reinvented their wheels. It's got a spherical concept tyre which allows cars to move in every direction, including sideways into parallel parking spaces. Uh, the key's magnetic levitation, where traditional tyres are bolted to cars. The Eagle 360s just hover beneath them, free from the limits of traditional steering. So don't forget, I invite you to go to my website, bobpritchard.com, and enrol for my daily newsletter. It takes just 30 seconds to read, and we'll keep you up to date with all the business news that's important. I wish all of our listeners a fantastic Thanksgiving. I hope that you get together with friends and family. 50 million Americans are going um, traveling this weekend to meet family, and I hope that you have a fantastic um, Thanksgiving feast and enjoy your friends and family. And don't forget to help somebody who's less fortunate by donating something towards a um, Thanksgiving hamper for them. Remember, if you're not living on the edge, you're taking up too much space. It's easier and much more rewarding to do the impossible than it is to do the ordinary. Next week, I'll again be broadcasting from Hollywood Boulevard, where technology meets entertainment, and I hope you can join me again. In the meanwhile, continue to be successful, continue to bust your butt and make some money, because the alternative really sucks. See you next week. You've been listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. 
Please join us again next Tuesday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Until then, enjoy another week of success in your business and your life.